Um, Let me open us in prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, I come to you now asking that you would pour out your spirit upon me, and that you would help me to speak as one who speaks to oracles of God. Father, I decrease so that you can increase. You must become greater, and I must become less. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to stir the affections of our hearts tonight to love Christ more? I pray, Father, that you would give us soft hearts to receive your word and that you would give us ears that are open to hear your word and to receive it with gladness. Father, I pray for those who are here tonight who may not know you. I pray that you would draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Your word says that no man can come to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. So, oh God, would you draw people by your Spirit? So, Father, we ask that you would have your way now. Please shine the spotlight upon Jesus Christ in this time and do a work that only you can do. Um, I pray that you would do far more abundantly than anything I can ask or think according to your power at work within us, according to your Holy Spirit at work within us. I pray this in Jesus' mighty, miraculous, matchless name. Amen. Amen. The doctrine of the resurrection is a doctrine that has been proclaimed all throughout history. And the resurrection of Christ is an essential element to the gospel. But when we think about the resurrection of Christ, oftentimes many of us forget that there will also be a resurrection of believers. And even if we don't forget about it, a lot of times... We don't give it much thought. In verse 14 of this passage, we see that there will be a resurrection of the just. That the bodies of born-again believers will one day rise from their graves and be with God for all eternity. The resurrection of the just is the day of our great reward. Our great reward. It's a day that we will be rewarded for serving the least, the left out, and the marginalized when we rise to be with Jesus. And this parable, the parable of the great, the great banquet, we see what God's kingdom is like. And we also see what God's people ought to be like. We see that our humility is revealed by who we associate with. And we see that those who have been justified by God will live just lives. That we will have lives marked by love, marked by compassion, marked by mercy, like our Savior. The point of this parable or story is that we should serve the overlooked, the outcasts, And the least of these now, that we should serve them now, knowing that we will be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. So the resurrection of the just is not just about getting up from the grave. 
But it's about gaining a reward for living lives that reflect the characteristics of Jesus. This text in Luke also fits one of your key values as a church, which is generous hospitality. I was so encouraged when I read this on your website. God's vision for social justice is rooted in the practice of true hospitality, defined in scripture as showing love to strangers and outsiders. We believe the church is called to be God's family in the world, showing joyful, extravagant hospitality to the lonely and marginalized. We recognize that hospitality means giving people what they need, not just physically, but relationally. What this means, we worship, preach, and teach, assuming the presence of non-Christians, emphasize home-based ministry whenever possible, and focus on our ministry priorities. And then this is what was named refugee care, homelessness, mentoring, and adoption slash foster care. As I said, those who have been justified by God will live justified lives. And I have been so encouraged by Advent um, from the time that I've been here and from what I read on your website because I see that you are desiring to seek justice and to love strangers and outsiders. As we walk through these three verses in Luke 14, I want to look at three things that God's word teaches us about hospitality. Number one, in verse 12, we see that Jesus tells the hosts who not to invite. Number two, in verse 13, Jesus tells the hosts who he should invite. And in uh, verse 14, Jesus reveals the principle. Again, verse 12, we see that Jesus tells the hosts who not to invite. Verse 13, Jesus tells the hosts who he should invite. And in verse 14, Jesus reveals the principle. But before we dive any further into these three verses, I want to give you a little context of what has taken place in this chapter. There are three scenes in chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. In the first scene, um, you'll see that Jesus is inside of the home of a Pharisee. Um, he's a leader, as the Bible says, of the Pharisees, a prominent Pharisee. Um, you see that in verses 1 through 6. In this scene, the Pharisees are trying to set Jesus up. So if you have a Bible with you, I um, would love for you to open up with me to Luke chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses four, um, verses 1 through 6 in chapter 14. Verse 1 says, On the Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So you have these Pharisees who are eyeing Jesus. They're watching him very carefully. And the reason for being is because they're trying to set him up. And it goes on to say, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is a disease where fluid develops in the body. Um, Sometimes it develops in organs, but it develops also under the skin. And sometimes it's manifested on the outside by seeing um, these uh, 
um, big uh, manifestations of fluid that rise up on the skin. So there's a man there who's sitting in front of Jesus who has dropsy. And verse 3 says, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He asks this question. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. So he heals this man with dropsy. You can only imagine how the Pharisees are looking at Jesus, saying, What are you doing? This is the Sabbath, because they held strictly to the Sabbath. And even to heal on the Sabbath was considered to be wrong to them. So here it is. Jesus heals this man. He sends him away. And in verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And then verse 6 says, And they could not reply to these things. So their mouth was shut. And the reason why their mouth was shut, shut is because if they would have said, um, well, of course we would pull him out, they would have won against their own principle of not doing these things on the Sabbath. But if they um, didn't uh, do that, if they didn't fall through with helping their son or their ox, or specifically a son, it would show a lack of compassion. So they, they just chose to be silent and to not say anything. But... We see in the next scene, in verses 7 through 11, that Jesus tells a parable, and then he rebukes now the guests who are invited to the dinner. So in verses 7 through 11, it reads, Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, this is what he said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Least someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. So here it is, you have these, these, these guests who are scrambling for the best seats. They want to sit in the places of honor. And Jesus is saying, you could try to sit in the place of honor, but what if your host comes and he removes you from that place and then puts someone else in your place? You're going to feel shamed and embarrassed then be better for you to sit in the lowest place and then have the host move you to a place of honor. And what he's doing here is he's trying to teach a principle here. And the principle is what we see in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So in context, you have to understand what is going on here. I mean, they're trying to set Jesus up. They put this man in front of him who has dropsy. They're trying to set him up to see whether or not he would heal this man. And sure enough, he does heal this man and he sends him away. But they weren't inviting this man with dropsy to their table because they really wanted him to be there. They were really only inviting this man in order to set Jesus up. So it shows that they really didn't even care about this man with dropsy. 
And then you have these guests who are scattering, trying to get the best seats because they want to be esteemed. They want to be seen as important in front of man. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not the way to go about the kingdom. The real way to go about the kingdom is taking the place, the lowest place, and having your Lord exalt you. And then we see that principle, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We see that all throughout the gospel of Luke. I mean, even Mary in the Magnificat, um, she mentions how God has exalted the humble. And then in Luke 18, we see the Pharisee and the tax collector. And if you want to look at it with me, I'll just read it real quick. Luke 18, starting at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat on his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, here's the language, for everyone who exalts exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In Luke 18, we see that humbling yourself in context here leads to salvation. But in Luke 14, we see that those who have been saved and transformed um, will, will display the characteristics of Christ in humble, like, servant, and love towards neighbor. So now when we look at verses 12 through 14, we zoom in and we see how Jesus now addresses the host. So Jesus tells the hosts who he should not invite. And he says this in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now I want to explain what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. I don't believe that Jesus is saying don't ever invite your neighbors or, I mean, specifically your family members or relatives. Um, The reason why I would say he's not saying don't ever invite them is because we see all throughout the Bible, um, you know, the fellowship of believers. The early church met daily. They were meeting all of the time. Um, So I don't think he is saying don't invite them at all. But I do think what he's saying is there needs to be an intentionality about inviting um, the marginalized, an intentionality about inviting the poor, an intentionality about inviting the crippled, 
an intentionality about inviting the, the ones who are considered outcasts. And, you know, when we think of the gathering of believers, that's fellowship. Um, but biblically, um, hospitality is the inviting of strangers, the inviting of the outcasts. So fellowship is wonderful, and it's a must that we fellowship as believers. But Jesus is saying here, invite the stranger. Invite the marginalized. Invite the ones that society looks over. Bring those people to your table. Um, Jesus goes on to tell the hosts who he should invite. And we see that Jesus is very clear who we should invite. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Uh, These are people who were looked down upon um, by society. These are individuals that when they saw the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, they considered them to be cursed. Now, you have a lot of prosperity preachers that will preach nowadays saying that, Um, If you don't have this, if you don't have that, if you don't have a wonderful car, if you don't have a big house, then guess what? You're cursed. And we know that that is not what the Bible teaches. Whether you have lots of wealth or whether you have no wealth at all, the fact that we're blessed doesn't come from material things, but the fact that we're blessed comes from the fact that we have trusted in a wonderful Savior who is Jesus Christ. So when these people were looking upon um, the crippled, the lame, and thinking that they were cursed, they were wrong. And I love what John chapter 9 says. It says, And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, listen now, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I love that. Here it is, this man, he's blind, and you have disciples that are saying, man, did he sin? Did his parents sin that he's blind? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Um, This man didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. But the reason why this happened was so that the works of God might be put on display. In my sovereign plan, I wanted to display my glory by healing him. And it just shows that God has purpose in all things. So we shouldn't look to whether a person has material things or not as as whether or not they're blessed. We should look to whether or not they have trusted in Jesus because all who have trusted in Jesus are blessed. Um, I'm not sure if Luke had this in mind, but in Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7, it says, Is not this the fast that I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is not... Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, 
and to not hide yourself from your own flesh. And verse 10 goes on to say, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light, I'm sorry, then then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. I love that. That's so beautiful. In these verses, we see that we ought to seek justice, help the poor, and loved the, love the oppressed. Jesus was the greatest example of what this looked like. <laughs> I mean, you can't read the Gospels without noticing him hanging out with those who were considered to be nobodies. He was always around sinners, tax collectors, the oppressed, eating with them, loving on them, and showing them the ways of God. So he's the greatest example we have. And when we talk about humility, um, Jesus, I mean, the Bible says um, in Philippians 2 that He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And then it says that he humbled himself even further to the point of death to being crucified on the cross. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. What a merciful Savior. What a loving, kind, merciful God. So here it is. Jesus is an example of humility. But not only that, he was born not in a palace, but he was born in poverty. He wasn't born in an an amazing hospital. He was born around camels and donkeys and dung. He wasn't born to a king and a queen. He was born to a peasant girl. Jesus is able to identify with the marginalized. Jesus is able to identify with the poor. So he's our example. He's our example of what it looks like to love, to identify with the poor and the marginalized. And I want to say this. The truth is, if we really take the time to think about it, we are not in no way superior than the poor or superior than the blind or superior than the crippled. The truth is, every last one of us um, before Christ were poor and even in Christ still poor in spirit. But we were poor. We had nothing that we could bring God. The only thing that we could bring God was our sin. The only thing that we could bring God was our filth. But he who was rich became poor so that we could become rich. And we were crippled. We weren't able to come to the table. There was no possible way for us to come to the table of our Lord. Our Lord had to pick us up and bring us there. 
As Ephesians says, it's by grace that we have been saved. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift that comes from God. And not only that, we can also identify with the blind because we were blinded to the truths of God. We were blinded to the gospel. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded unbelievers from, to keep them from seeing the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. The only reason why he, we have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ is because God's Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. He has shined into our hearts and opened our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. So we can identify with the poor, the crippled. We can identify with the blind. So may that help us to see that God has been so merciful to us. Because of the grace that has been extended to us, may we extend that grace to others. I want to let you know that if you're here and you don't know of this mercy, this grace found in Jesus Christ, if you're here and you're not a believer, but these truths sound beautiful to you, I want to let you know that Jesus has always given out invitations to come to the great banquet of himself. And if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says to repent of your sin, to turn from your sin, and to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, the only one who's able to bridge the gap between sinful men and women and a holy and righteous God. The Bible calls him the mediator. When we repent and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are now justified, meaning declared legally righteous. God now looks upon those who have put their trust in Jesus and sees perfection. This is amazing. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, he sends out an invitation to you to come. But you must respond in repentance and faith. And trust in him. And surrender to him totally. Now when it comes to inviting the poor, the marginalized, the outcast to our tables. If Jesus was here today. He might say. As he looked at our tables. Where is the single mother at your table? Where is the refugee at your table? Where is the immigrant at your table? Where is the drug addict at your table? Where is the prostitute at your table? These are the individuals that Jesus, he loves. And as people who are called to reflect his love, we are called to love them as well. Those who society looks upon and says, you're not significant. But all people created in the image of God are significant. Lastly, in verse 14, Jesus reveals the principle. Verse 14 says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Talking about the marginalized the crippled, the blind, the lame, they cannot repay you. He says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And he says this, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And what he's pointing to is the, the, the good works that we do here on earth, our payment is not necessarily going to come in this life. But Jesus, 
God himself is going to reward you. He's going to reward you at the resurrection of the just. And I want to say this. We don't do works in order to be saved. We do works, good works, because we are saved. God has put his Holy Spirit inside of us. And we just want to love people. The greatest commandment is what? To love God and to love neighbor. So may God continue to give us grace, Church of the Advent, to love God and to love people. There will be a resurrection of the just, and there will also be a resurrection of the unjust. The distinction between the two is the outcome of their resurrected state. For the just, for the believer, it will be a glorious and joyous union with their Savior. Like a husband and wife reuniting after being away from each other for so long. Their sins have been forgiven and they are covered by the righteousness of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is a resurrection to eternal life. (laughs) But for the unjust, hear me now, for the unjust, the unbeliever, it will be a terrifying day. For it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There's nothing but the wrath of God stored up for you in the day of judgment. Neither your silver nor your gold shall be able to deliver you on the day of the wrath of the Lord. And the fire of his, all the earth shall be consumed. But if you will humble yourself, if you will humble yourself and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. You will be given eternal life. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You may say, Lord, increase my faith. Help me believe. And he says, all you need is faith like the grain of a mustard seed. (laughs) Receive the kingdom of God like a child. Humble yourself and trust in him. Finally, applications. Just want to ask you this. Do we have a humble, hospitable attitude like our Lord Jesus? I know for myself, I need to grow in this. I'm sure all of us could say in some way, shape, or form, this is something that we need to grow in. Listen, Jesus was so associated with tax collectors, sinners, and drunkards that he was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He did this in order that he might win some. He did it to share the gospel with the people and to share the love of God with them. Who do we associate ourselves with most in order to spread the gospel? This is a question we must ask. May we have more of the poor, more of the lame, more of the blind, more of the prostitutes, more of the drug addicts, more of the orphans, more of unbelievers in our homes, the ones who can't repay us back, 
May we have more of them at our tables. Here's a question. Are we looking to the reward at the resurrection of the just or looking to a temporary reward here on earth? May the Lord give us grace to say, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes and stamp eternity on my heart. I want to live for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, help me to store up treasure in heaven. Lastly, Jesus didn't say, you are blessed when others can repay you, but rather, he said, you are blessed when they can't repay you because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. As believers who have been justified, we will live just lives. And just lives look like striving to reflect the characteristics of Jesus. And every last one of us falls short of that. But praise God for his grace that when we do fall short, we can repent. And we can um, ask God to empower us to do what he's called us to do. So may God pour grace out upon us to love him and to love people. To show generous hospitality and to lay down our lives for the marginalized for the stranger, for those who don't know Christ so that we could love them towards our Savior. Let us pray. Father, thank you so very much just for the privilege to be able to share your truth from your word. Father, I pray that you would empower us to live out what your word teaches in Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. I praise you for your grace that even when we fall short of these things, Lord, there is mercy, there is grace for us. And I praise you, Father, that that even though we are not perfect, we're trusting in the perfection of Christ who is. So, Father, would you help us to do good works, to show generous hospitality, not because we're trying to be saved. No one can do good works in order to be saved. But may we display good works and show hospitality to strangers and love on neighbors and the outcasts because we have been saved and we want to display your love to people. Would you do this for your glory, for your namesake, in Jesus' name, amen.